Hey, it's the House Maven. Are you on Clubhouse? I just started a new club, surprisingly called Talking Home Renovations. And I'm going to have a room every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, where we can talk live. So join the club and join me on Saturdays. I can't wait. Welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I'm an architect and I practice in Eastern Massachusetts. Most of my work is additions and renovations to existing homes. I was thinking that a podcast might be a good way for homeowners like my clients to learn everything they could about home renovations before they get started so they'd have some answers, maybe take a little bit of the stress out of the situation. So for almost two years now, I've been speaking to other architects and contractors, vendors, and, and homeowners about their renovation stories. Today's one of those architect as homeowner stories about an architect and her architect husband who bought a split level outside of Chicago. So my guest today is Cinda Lester, who is an architect practicing outside of Chicago. She met her architect husband at the University of Idaho, and then she came back to Chicago, got her Master of Urban Planning and Policy at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and now she lives in suburban Chicago with her husband and two kids. We started 1212 Architects um, 18 years ago, actually. Last week, we've just started into our 19th year. When I say we, it's me and my husband, um, who's also a licensed architect. And the goal was for us to both quit our jobs working at bigger firms and to do this full time, you know, 19 years ago. The reality was because of health insurance and, you know, being terrified to quit our jobs and not have a regular paycheck, that he still worked at a real job, as my mother called it. And uh, I, I was working at 12 Architects full time. And so it took 15 years before we finally, you know, had enough work and were so busy and he hated his job that much that he said, look, I'm coming to work with you full-time. So um, it'll be four years in October that he's been home with me full-time. So we do uh, primarily residential work, but we've done certainly plenty of, you know, commercial, medical, retail, done a bunch of churches, that kind of thing. Um, just sort of as they come in, we don't really advertise for it. Most of that work actually comes from our residential clients. You know, they own a business or their church needs some help or whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah, we do probably, I don't know, it depends on the year, 75% addition remodeling, 25% new construction. Um, and, you know, those numbers fluctuate based on the year and the economy. Um, we really love specializing in lake homes. Mm. And that's really what we're doing a whole lot more of now, especially, you know, during COVID, we had a lot of clients who realized, you know, hey, I don't have to live in Chicago anymore because my office is closed and I'm going to be remote forever. And, you know, my kids out of high school, whatever, I don't need to be here for the school district. So we can just live at the lake full time. Yeah, and sounds like so, a pretty good idea. Exactly, exactly. So and honestly, that's where we'd love to be too. You know, my my kids are uh, junior and senior in high school. So I got two more years that we need to be here for the school district. And then we can move wherever we want because the vast majority of our work was remote anyway, even pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So today you're going to talk about your own house. So why don't you yep. tell me tell me a little bit about your house? 
So when my husband and I got married, we decided, you know, that we were looking for a new house to live in and we were total architecture snobs. And we thought, oh, we're never going to live in an ugly 1960s foot level. And that's just so beneath us. And, you know, we're going to find, you know, some old historic house or a cute little Cape Cod or whatever. And of course, we could not afford to live in any neighborhood that had any, you know, of those cute little houses. And like everyone else did in our, you know, age bracket at that time, we built a cookie cutter new construction home with some, you know, big box builder. And we lived there for five years and hated it. And then we just, then we woke up and we said, you know what? We're never going to be able to, this house is, is in a neighborhood that we don't want. And we want, you know, to be in a specific neighborhood in a specific school district. And we had kids. And so we bought a 1964 split level, (laughs) (laughs) actually in, in the exact house that we had looked at five years earlier that said, you know, oh, we'll never live in a place like this. And that's what we bought. Yeah. Um, I saw that one coming. I saw that one coming, Cindy. Exactly. But we were very, very lucky because we actually bought the house from the original owner, um, who she and her family had built the house in 1964 and had done virtually nothing to it, but painted terrible colors inside. And I mean, there were purple velvet curtains and Mm. fluorescent green paint downstairs on the original paneling. I mean, it was, it was awful. Mm. Um, Or great, or great, depending how you look at it. Well, right. So we were very lucky in that we saw it the day that it was listed and, you know, two architects walking in, we could envision what the room would look like without the blood red wall (laughs) and the velvet curtains. Blood red. Um, Yeah, no, it was, it was blood red. Um, And I, and I think she's probably very lucky that we saw it because I can't imagine other people would have been able to look past how she was showing it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so we bought it and actually, you know, we, we were looking only specifically in this neighborhood and, you know, we bought for the location, we bought for the yard, our neighbors on both sides of us are still original owners. Like they're the adult children who grew up in there in those homes. Hmm. Um, and much of our block is like that, but yeah, it's, um, and it, it's interesting because we do a lot of work on split levels, but ours is, you know, a totally ridiculous kind of split level where only the front door is at the split. So if you're walking, if you're, you know, on the sidewalk, you have to walk up the stairs to get to our front door, but then go down the stairs to get back into our family room. Even though we have a door that comes out on the side on the first floor. I mean, it, it absolutely could have been a two-story colonial, but not what they were building in this neighborhood in 1964. So. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I do think about that housing type uh, because what is it just to be fancy? Because why to have the split level? I guess that's called technically like a split level entry, right? Because the entry, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, I've worked in a couple of those recently, and it's kind of hard to do anything if people wanted to look like I a more typical house. It's a little difficult to um, exactly fix that. exactly. And so, and you know, like I said, we've remodeled this exact house for several of our clients, you know, over the past eighteen years, and you know, everyone wants a little bit something different. We had one client who wanted an entire third floor. And so that's what they, they went up. And to me, I don't want to make this house any taller. Um, So we actually put on an addition on the first floor at grade, which um, 
the appraisers consider our basement. So that's the biggest problem with the split level. I can tell everyone out there right now. There's actually no checkbox on an appraiser's form for a split level. So you're either a one story or a two story. And so they classify our house as a one story ranch with a finished basement. So they count us as a 1300 square foot, three bedroom, one bath ranch with a 1500 square foot finished basement. Wow. But so they, they don't count our two bedrooms and our bathroom that's downstairs because it's a basement, even though I actually have three doors that walk out of my lower level directly to grade, which makes no sense. Yeah. makes no sense at all, but that's how the appraisers work. Yeah. So, so that's not great. So that it's not as valuable as if you had a five bedroom house. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, they say, well, the, you can't find comps for a two story house without a basement. Hmm. So that's why they count it as a one story house with a basement, but then they don't really count all of our square footage, which is our lower level is bigger than our upper level. They don't count that towards, you know, living space. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good little thing to know about if you have a split level, when you go to get your house appraised, it definitely makes a difference having the appraiser come in the house and see what you can do to, you know, to talk to them about, Hey, this is actually living space. This is not basement. So. Okay. Well, yeah. That's a good tip. <laughs> it's not not always good news on the other end of that outcome, but you know it's it's at least good information to have going into it. You did your renovation to your house in phases. Yes. So you know, as two architects, we bought this house. We had it field measured and drawn before we even closed on the house and moved in. We knew things that we wanted to do, and that was uh, 16 years ago last week, actually. And so we had drawn, you know, a redo of the kitchen, a redo of the lower level. Um, we had a pretty typical split level and that there was a two-car garage at the lower level. Um, and we lived here for maybe two years. And, you know, my business was growing and I absolutely needed an office with a door so that I could keep my toddlers from drawing on my desk and, you know, leaving Lego everywhere which, you know, 16 years later, the Lego have not uh, moved. <laughs> the, like, the Lego collection has grown. But, um, but so we had planned out, you know, a series of additions. And so we did the first one, which we did a lower level addition where we turned our two-car garage into two bedrooms. Um, we were able to ex extend a little bit towards the street on the, on the lower level, which is why our basement is bigger than our upstairs. Um, and so then we, we essentially completely got the entire lower, lower level down to the studs. So we redid the bathroom and the laundry room and the family room. And we added these bedrooms and, you know, we had to upgrade the water service and new furnace and, you know, the whole kit and caboodle of everything that we did on that project. We did the entire lower level. Um, and that was really our phase one project. And now, 16 years later, we're kind of getting to phase three. We've done a whole bunch of smaller projects in between. Um, but even as two licensed architects and as an architect who runs my own business and deals with contractors all the time, we have all the exact same horror stories that any of our other clients have heard. 
Um, you know, we hired a contractor who had worked on smaller jobs for our clients and seemed like a super great guy. He was super nice and friendly and did great work. And, you know, he was starting his project for us. And what I didn't know then and really should have asked more information about was that this addition project for him was way bigger than anything else he had ever done before. Hmm. And so I really think he didn't, uh, one, I think I didn't ask enough questions about that, but also he was not honest with me and saying, oh, I've never done this large scope of work. I think he did a lot of kitchens and baths and maybe some basement remodeling, but I think dealing with the addition and the upgrading the water service and all the new concrete work and, and all of that, I think that was really much more than he could handle. And in the end, he we paid him for work and he never finished. Uh oh. And then literally disappeared from the state. And so, you know, we've got tons of horror stories of that kind of thing where, you know, we've got toddlers and we're broke and our project's not done. And, you know, I borrowed a thousand dollars from my grandmother to buy drywall um, so that we could hang it. And, you know, a, a bunch of my husband's friends from, from the office that he was working at the time came over and they, you know, we had a party when I said, look, we'll pay you in beer and pizza if you can come <laughs> over and hang the drywall and, you know, get it taped and mudded. And then we painted ourselves and, you know, mm. all of those kinds of things that you don't ever want to have to do. But the reality is sometimes that's, you know, that was all we could afford. So we had yeah. to do it. Um downside of that is we are not professional drywall hangers. And, you know, now even 16 years later, if there's, if there's a crack in the drywall or there's, you know, uh, a tape seam that's showing, it's super irritating to my husband, especially mm -hmm. because he's the one who did it, you know, yeah. and he did yeah. it because that's what we had to do. Um, we didn't have any money to, you know, this guy ran off with the last of our money. We didn't have any, any more money to do it. We had to do it ourselves. Um, and it's just super irritating now every time we look at it. So, you know, the lessons learned are definitely find more references, more, you know, show me projects that are exactly like this that you have done before. Right. Um, and, you know, just to really prove that they actually can do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious about how he just left the state altogether. I and mean, was it, do you think he took money from other people as well? I just don't really get when people do yes, that. Yes, I, I know he did take money from other people because at least one of them was the client of ours. Um, and so, of course, that is, it, not only is that terrible for me because he was working on my own house, but then it's my own reputation because he was a contractor that I referred to someone else. Now, they were a much smaller project. And I really think that he was probably planning on leaving the state anyway, because I knew he had family on the East Coast. That's where he had been before. And he had told me that. Um, and I think probably once he realized how much in the hole he was financially, I think they just picked up and moved back and, you know, moved in with his parents or whatever. Um, and we never heard from him again. Wow. So, he was in the hole like he just didn't he just didn't um, estimate it properly. So he was if he finished your project, he's going to lose money. 
I think I think there was definitely that, but I think he also was taking payments that we gave him from our project to buy materials for another project. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he wasn't the, using the money that we gave him on our project, and I. You know, and I've seen that with other contractors who are no longer contractors I work with um, and have heard horror stories from other people. You know, other clients who said, yeah, we hired some guy to do our kitchen and we paid him for cabinets, but then we never got the cabinets. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just I think it's not entirely uncommon that contractors are good contractors, but bad businessmen. And and I think, you know, that's the hardest part to figure out of, you know, is this guy not only a good builder, but is he not going to, you know, be bad at managing my money? Hmm. Okay. Well, that is a nightmare. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. So then um, what's part three? What's part three going to be? So, yeah. So in between, we've redone uh, the upstairs bathroom and we've replaced some windows and, um, you know, some some work actually was sort of, you know, even before phase one, we had done some stuff like, for example, our front door on the split level was a fake double door. It looked like it was a double door on the outside, but it was drywalled in the closet on the inside and we couldn't get our refrigerator in the house. Whoa. So wait, we, I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine this. So I'm from the outside, it looked like a double door, but on the yes. inside it, it was a single door and was drywalled on the on on the inside and had a closet in front of it. Wow. I've never heard of that. Is that common? Yeah. Um I think well, definitely from the houses in this neighborhood I've seen, it's definitely common. So it may have just been something that this builder did mm. um but you know kind of making it look more fancy or grand in 1964 yeah. right if you had a double door entry that was fancy um but you know adding a coat closet on the inside was you know there was nowhere else to put it when you have your front door at the split level that's where you need a closet so that's mm. what they did okay um but on moving day we had to tear that door out because there was no other way to get a refrigerator in the house. There was no back door or anything. There was no back door that we could get. I mean, we had a a sliding glass door in our lower level, but we would not have been able with the way the house was configured to maneuver the refrigerator around the corners and up the stairs. Whereas if we brought it in the front door, it was a straight shot right into the kitchen. So we said, okay, fine, we're going to get rid of this, you know, dumb fake door anyway. But on moving day, we had to go to Home Depot and buy a new front door um, (laughs) so that we could get the refrigerator in. Yeah. Wow. Good times. Good times. Um, But so phase three, what now we are doing is we, as well, kind of as part of phase one, you know, 12 years ago or whenever it was, my aunt and I, as my husband and his friends were hanging drywall, we thought, you know what? I really, I really just can't stand this kitchen anymore. It was divided awkwardly, and it was. It we have a cathedral ceiling upstairs in our main kitchen, living dining area, and the walls didn't go all the way up, and it was a terrible layout. And so, she and I emptied the cabinets, and we took the cabinets down, and we started knocking the wall down. Um, oh, during and my husband during and his, the party, during the drywall hanging party. During the party, right there, hanging drywall <laughs> downstairs. We were destroying drywall upstairs. And oh, literally, wow. like, they came up to get pizza and beer for lunch, and my husband's like, um, what? What have you done here? <laughs> oh, no. 
And I was like, I, I couldn't stand it. But, you know, I mean, we had talked about it and, you know, I'm the kind of person that makes a decision and then is ready to go. Um, and so that's what we did. So, so as a result, um, our kitchen has been in a state of remodel for 12 years. Oh so, boy. So that yeah, was 12 so years we, ago. You didn't so, finish it. We did not finish it. And the reason is, and this is a great example. And I tell my clients of this all the time is that, you know, one part of one project snowballs into much, you know, into a much bigger project. So the entire upper level of my house is hardwood floors. So it's kitchen, living, dining, hallway, three bedrooms, and then there's a bathroom that's tiled. So there's hardwood floor everywhere, except in the kitchen. In 1964, they put linoleum in the kitchen. And so once we took the wall down, realized there was no hardwood under that linoleum, we went, okay, well, now we need to put in new wood floors. Well, so over the course of 12 years, we thought, okay, we're going to do this. But to completely do that, the entirety of my entire living space upstairs needs to move out so that we can tooth in the new hardwood floors and then sand and refinish the floors upstairs. Wow. And so it's taken 12 years and we have finally decided, all right, November, we are doing it. So we are going to have to move everything out of my kids' bedrooms and our bedroom and the entire living room and everything is going to have to be boxed up and put in a pod and done so that we can finish the kitchen that we started 12 years ago, all because of the floors. Man, you know, pretty much every architect I know lives like that. So Yes. Yeah. yeah. My, my grandfather always used to say the shoemaker's children has no shoes <laughs> and two architects home will never be done. And that yeah. is, that is absolutely the truth. Um, and, you know, even when we did our lower level, like I said, because we finished it ourselves, it's, you know, I'm looking here in my office, I still don't have trim. We don't have window or door trim anywhere in our lower level. Because that was the last thing that, you know, this contractor who ran off was supposed to do, you know, he's drywall paint and trim. And then he would have been done. We just never did it. Yeah. Well, you know what? It turns out I was talking to someone else about this in another episode and you don't really need the trim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're, I, I, yeah, we've all been there. I yep. like to tell people it looks very clean and contemporary, which of course is a lie. It doesn't, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's my excuse. Um, no, well, we are hoping actually that because we are now doing the entire upper level and we'll redo the trim upstairs, which I should mention the trim that is left upstairs is painted fluorescent yellow. Um, wow. That's what the original owner had done um, in her infinite wisdom at some point between, you know, 1964 and 2005 had painted everything fluorescent yellow. Um, yeah. So that's what we still have upstairs. So we are hoping that when the trim guys are doing all the trim upstairs that then we can, you know, bring them downstairs and, and put up the trim that should have been here for 12 years. Mm. And as soon as you finish, you'll just have to sell a house basically. Exactly. Well, and, and that's, you know, hindsight being 2020, we think, boy, we really should have finished this kitchen 12 years ago. And, you know, unfortunately that's the way of the world. And when money's available and when time is available and, you know, I don't know that I could have tolerated another project with toddlers or even little kids. And, you know, now my kids are in high school and, 
you know, they're sitting on their devices and can sit on the couch just as easy as they can sit in their room. So, you know, doing it now is not such a big deal, but it certainly would have been nice to have the bulk of these projects done, you know, at some point throughout the last 12 years when the reality is, yes, we can move in two years. So, yeah, well, yeah, I'm pretty much in the same exact position. My daughter's a senior in high school know as of next month and yeah um we still haven't painted the trim from the hoarder the hoarders who lived here and it's been uh-huh. 13 years now so yes. i am sure i'm gonna paint that right before we put it on the market and it's gonna look well, so oh, nice exactly nice. exactly and that's and that's you know was sort of our thought originally was that you know look we have to do something because if in two years you know when our daughter graduates we decide okay now we're gonna pick up and move to the lake or move wherever she goes to college or whatever, we would have to do this work to sell the house. So we might as well do it now. Um, And actually another little appraiser tidbit is when we did this lower level remodel, we put, you know, these two bedrooms in the garage and we haven't had a garage for 12 years. Now we do have space and we've always had plans to put a detached garage in the back. Um, And, you know, of course, we've got that drawn up and actually we submitted it for permit two years ago and then didn't do it because of COVID. And now we're doing the kitchen instead. So, but I asked both my realtor friend and an appraiser because I thought, you know, we we won't be able to sell this house if it doesn't have a two-car garage in this neighborhood. And they said there would be a $10,000 difference in listing price and appraised value. Mm. I said, well, I'm not spending $60,000 to build a garage if it's only going to make a $10,000 difference. So, you know, we've just, that that's another one that's been able to, you know, kick the can down the road a little bit longer. Um, you know, now that we know that if we had to sell the house without a garage, we sell the house without a garage. Right. Know? And you can just tell them that's where you would build the garage and it's, exactly. you know, complies exactly. with everything. And Exactly. And, you know, we've got everything drawn and I mean, we could sell the the garage plans with the house and say, here you go. It's ready to go. Mm. But yes, in the meantime, we have been, you know, living through 12 Chicago winters without a garage and we're managing. So (laughs) do you have other tips for people? (laughs) Um, Hire professionals to finish the job start to finish. Um, Mm -hmm. And I definitely will always tell my clients that who say, well, we think we're going to GC this job ourselves. Or, you know, we did, we did our bathroom remodel ourselves. We did a, you know, a DIY tile install and things. So, so we're going to do this whole thing ourselves. And I say, you know, if you've got people that you can hire to do it, Um, you know, if your uncle's a painter or, you know, lots of times you hear, well, my cousin's an electrician and he's going to do the work for me. That's fine. But understand that people go to professionals for a reason, right? You don't say, Hey, I'm going to do my own heart surgery myself because, you know, I have a heart and I know that it needs to be pumping to, to keep me alive. That's not enough professional experience to be able to do that. And so there's a reason why, general contractors make 15, 20, 25% profit on their jobs is because it's a full-time job, right? There's a lot to coordinate. And so I always try to give my clients a a little bit of that. Here's all the things that they're coordinating. Here's all the balls that they're juggling because most people just don't have any idea because the reality is most people will do a major architectural 
and construction project one time in their lives. And so, um, you know, most people just don't have any experience. They don't have that knowledge. So I always tell them that even us as two architects do with this every day, we would never GC our own job ever because I get paid to do other things. You know, my talents are elsewhere. And so unless people have that background in construction and they don't have another full-time job, I strongly suggest that they don't try to do that level of work themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's um, the, and having another full-time job part. Exactly. You, you can't really find the time to do it because it's, it is a full-time job getting that done. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, and I also let them know that, you know, there are enough decisions and enough other things that they're going to have to do just as a homeowner that that is going to take a considerable amount of time. So I I actually have this um, one room template that I give to my clients to let them know, okay, even if you were only going to be, you know, renovating one room in your house, never mind building a new house or an addition or whatever, but say, okay, let's think of all the things that need to be selected in this one room. So it's not just the windows and the doors, it's picking the flooring, it's picking the trim, it's picking the trim material, the trim color, the trim profile. And is that going to be different for the base than it is at the doors, than it is at the windows and the wall finish and the wall color and, you know, where are your outlets going to go? Where are you going to have your cable jacks? Do you, is your whole house wireless? What is your ceiling detail like? You know, and I have a, a essentially a checklist that tells them all the things that they have to pick for one room. And when I show that to people and say that, you know, if you're remodeling your entire house, it's not an overstatement to say that you will have a thousand decisions to make. And then they sort of get the enormity of, holy cow, I'm going to have to make a thousand decisions. And so part of that is why you hire design professionals, whether it's an architect, an interior designer, a general contractor, it's, you know, that's our job and our role and really what you're paying for us for our value to help you and guide you through making those a thousand decisions. Because it can be totally overwhelming. I mean, even as an architect getting ready to redo my kitchen right now, you know, I called my interior designer yesterday and said, I don't have the time, energy, or patience to pick a backsplash. So here's what I like. You find four for me and I will pick from the four. Mm. Um, and that, and that's the benefit. And even though I see beautiful materials and, um, you know, I'm very knowledgeable in what we could put in. I don't have the brain space to do that for my own kitchen right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, my husband and I are going to have to decide as well. So I, you know, told her, here's sort of our parameters. Here's what we want. Give us some, we'll pick, and then we'll be done. Um, this, you know, I just don't have time for that. And most people don't either because they have full-time jobs and kids and, you know, life responsibilities. So, I mean, that's, that's the whole value of, of hiring professionals. Yeah, no, you're right. Is hiring um, an interior designer for your own project is kind of brilliant, actually, because then you don't have to be bogged down in that, especially if there are two architects who are deciding. I am also married to an architect, so. Uh -huh. You know <clears throat> that how that works. <laughs> it isn't always that simple, right? Exactly. So if, if there were a professional involved who could help guide us, that would narrow yes. yes. the field. There are a million choices, too. There are so many possibilities. So, yeah, having someone narrow it down for you is 
Exactly. Helpful. And, and, you know, even just the reality that, you know, my husband would like to have, you know, a dark oak, very, very high level of detail craftsman, you know, arts and crafts style kitchen. Um, it just that's, that's really what his favorite style is and what he would love to do in this house. I, on the other hand, one, don't want a dark kitchen and two, don't want to spend the money to put that style of kitchen in a 1964 split level. Right. Um, and so, you know, it took many months, but we decided, okay, we're going to do custom cabinets. We're going to get the detailed cabinets the way we want, but it's going to be white. And the reason why we did that is because it'll be light and bright, but also because so many people prefer a white kitchen. And if we're selling in two years, I want to have something that is going to be the most easily saleable. Right. Yeah. So, no, that makes sense. So even we, just coming to that decision. Yeah. It was, was hard for two architects. Yeah. Especially because um, we seem to feel things a little more deeply. Like that's what I really want, but then you're not even staying. That's, we have that conversation at our house all the time because we just redid our kitchen and we didn't really, I mean, we just re, we painted the cabinets and, you know, did a really just a surface job because we're leaving, yeah. right? I mean, I think we're leaving. Right. I'll probably be here in 25 years, <laughs> but, you know, did I want to put money into the well, stove I want? Because we're leaving. No, I mean, I could take the exactly. stove with me. So. Well, and it's, and it's funny because one of the things that I really would, I really want in, you know, my dream kitchen is an ice maker. I want the good ice, like the good ice that they sell it, that they have at Sonic, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the soft crushed ice, oh, okay. but those machines cost, you know, $2,000 or whatever to have an undercounter unit. And I think, oh man, we are redoing the kitchen. I, I, we're, you know, we're really going in hundred percent whole hog, you know, down to the studs, everything. I want this ice machine. And then I think, but if we're moving in two years, why would I put that money into an ice machine that maybe someone else isn't going to care about? But then I'm not going to, you know, rip out a built-in ice machine out of the kitchen to move with us somewhere. Mm. So, yeah, I know. Architect problems. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's, um. I guess there are worse problems, but it does feel, I feel it, though, with the decision making. And, yes. you know, what are people going to like? And I'm always telling my clients not to worry that much what people like, because how do you know who's buying it? You don't know what that is. Exactly. general people. On the other hand, though, if you know you're leaving and, you know, people like white cabinets, it makes more sense. Exactly. So. And, you know, there's some... There's some things and some features like, you know, and I was, I was talking about this with my interior designer yesterday, who I love and actually is a former student of mine. And I said, you know, Christy, I, I really want a blue ceiling in my kitchen and living room. And she's like, you want what? I said, I really want a light blue ceiling in my kitchen. Um, and she said, no, you don't. I said, no, I, I really think I do. She <laughs> said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're, you're just going to do a white ceiling. It'll be fine. And and like, I've had this vision of what my kitchen is going to look like with this really pale blue ceiling. It's like, you know, not sky blue, I'm not painting clouds on it or anything, but just <laughs> a really light blue, something that is a little bit different from the walls. And she convinced me, um, no, you don't, you're not doing it. <laughs> wow. and, a... and it was, and partially it's because one ceilings, of, you know, a cathedral ceilings, a pain to paint, right? So within two years, we were going to sell, you know, some a realtor would tell us to paint the ceiling white, not have a blue ceiling. Um, 
But again, you know, sort of like you just said, when we bought this house, we figured we'd be here for five years. Both my husband and I have moved a ton. And when we built that new construction house, we lived there for five years to the day, actually. And that was the longest that either one of us had lived at the same address in our entire lives. And now we've lived in this house for 16 years, which is insane. Um, you know, we didn't think we'd be here this long at all. Um, but it's kind of nice because we've given our kids a totally different, you know, childhood because they've grown up in the same house their whole lives, which mm. neither my husband or I had. Um, so yeah, like you just said, you know, we think, oh, we're going to move in, in two years, but we could be here in another 20. So anything else before we, before we go? No, I, I really just have to say not just because I am a licensed architect and people hire to do this, but as a consumer, really spend your money wisely on hiring a good team. And whether that in, is an architect, a builder, uh, you know, an interior designer, a lighting specialist, whoever, go to the professionals and make their value part of your project um, because their value really is invaluable. Um, they come with, you know, education and background and experience that you don't have. And there's a reason why people hire professionals and, you know, don't discount that value. Um, and the dollars that you're spending on those professionals are going to save you dollars down the road. And so, you know, that that's really my biggest tip is, you know, don't be afraid to hire professionals, even if you think, oh, well, I don't want to spend this money up front because I'd rather, you know, I don't want to hire into your designer. I can pick my own hardware. Um, the money that you're spending in that person is going to likely save you money down the road. So that's my number one tip. Hire good people. Thank you so much, Cinda, for joining me and telling me your story. It's very relatable. And thank you for listening. If you're looking for more photos of Cinda's project and you'd like more information about various things, check out my newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday morning. And that's what contains the episode enhancements. You can find a link to sign up for the newsletter in my show notes, but you can also go to talkinghomerenovations.com where I have the episode enhancements for this episode and previous episodes. So you can just check them out there. You can email me about story ideas, or if you want to be a guest, my emails the house may have been at Talking Home Renovations. You can join me on Facebook or Instagram where I'm Talking Home Renovations. And TikTok, I'm the house maven. Twitter, Talking Home Reno. Sorry that it's all different than all the social media. Speaking of social media, as I mentioned at the beginning, I have a new clubhouse club, Talking Home Renovations. I hope you join that and join me on Saturday mornings to discuss live in person, whatever we might've been talking about lately in the episode. So I'm also on clubhouse. Monday afternoons, 6 p.m. Eastern, and that is with Mona Ying Reeves of Kickstart House, and she has a club called House Renovation Club, I believe. Anyway, so hopefully I'll hear you over there. And if you like the show, please leave a rating or a review, and of course, subscribe. Tell all your friends who might need this. That would be so helpful to me if you spread the word. And this podcast is a member of Gable Media, which is the most engaged architecture, engineering, and construction multimedia network on the planet. So check it out and check out the podcasts and video channels that are part of that network at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. 
if you're looking for any kind of design advice or you want to make sure you're doing the right thing, I have an Ask an Architect Design Helpline. Information about that can be found on my architecture website, stemiosarchitects.com. A link for that's in the show notes. And this episode is produced by my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care. <laughs>